in terms of technology to uh, testify on this, uh, that it was a system that could only be used in an offensive sense. It had no defensive role whatsoever. And we were accused and charged with sabotage. Uh, and we were acquitted by a jury of basically 12 white rednecks from chainsaw and gun country uh, in northern Wisconsin. We were acquitted of sabotage because they proved that we didn't interfere with the defense of this country. Okay, Tom, you know, we're just about through with our uh, interview for the day. And I appreciate your enthusiasm and the information that you've shared with our listeners at KBOO. So I think we're going to wrap up now. And um, I just want to remind listeners that KBOO has labor radio news every Monday from 6 to 6.30. So we'll close off. Lane Ponzi, your host for Labor Radio News. Thank you, Tom Hastings. Thank you kindly. Thank you for listening. Good night. To you, the nine to fiver, just making your way home. To you, the all night driver, out in your cab alone. To you, waiting for lunch break, as the minutes drag so slow. Take courage, turn the volume up, it's Labor Radio. Howdy, everybody. I'm Rose Maddox, and I'd like to tell you that you're listening to KBOO in Portland, Oregon, the station that I listen to when I'm in the area. Hi, greetings and welcome to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. I'm your host, Adam Carpinelli. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. Today, we are here with folks from Bridgeworks, Oregon. How are y'all doing today? Doing great. 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 Blessed. Right Blessed. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for being on the show. Now, a few of y'all have been on the show several times, following up on, on various projects, such as the, the Folsom 50 project, and now you have a new book project, and there's a lot of other new great people who are involved with that as well. So um, how about we do a round of introductions and kind of get into talking about the new project? I'm uh, Danny Wilson. I am the executive director of Bridgeworks Oregon, and um, I'll keep my part short, but the mission of Bridgeworks Oregon is connecting communities through art and music, and more specifically for what we do is uh, the communities we're trying to connect are people who are incarcerated in Oregon with our outside communities and tell their stories and things like that. So my creative partner and creative director. I'm Tracy Schlapp, and uh, we got involved in this project first to create an event inside a prison but as we got to know these excellent people, we realized that we wanted to broadcast back out the stories of people we were meeting and um, have an opportunity to actually 
work with and develop lasting and meaningful relationships with some of the, the terrific people we've met. So in that spirit, Sterling? So my name is Sterling Cuneo. I'm a program coordinator for Transformative Justice Initiative at Willamette University. And I'm a former juvenile lifer that served 28 years, went inside while I was 16. While in there, I devoted myself to writing and service, became Oregon Literary Arts Fellow, a Pan American for Social Justice Fellow. And since I've been out, I'm now the a campaign advisor and director for Oregonians in United to End Slavery, which is passed, working on getting ballot measure 112 passed, which removes the authorization of slavery from the Oregon Constitution. And I'm a contributing author to Prisons Have a Long Memory. Hey, everybody. My name is Kyle Hedquist, and I, too, was serving life without parole at the Oregon State Penitentiary. I was arrested for murder in 1994 and was recently re released in April through the commutation through Governor Brown's office. And since then, I have been able to uh, work for the Oregon Justice Resource Center as a policy associate. And my primary job is to work with legislators and provide testimony and evidence for bills coming up, in particular policies regarding Department of Corrections and policing. And so it has been a pleasure to work with Tracy and Dan. I originally met them when Dan came in to OSP to do a Johnny Cash tribute concert. And I thought to myself, if these two folks are crazy enough to come inside the walls of the penitentiary, then I want to get to work with them some more. So we forged an alliance and began projects, and we are better for it. Well, certainly there's some great work that's been uh, ongoing and a lot of uh, experience uh, among the group here, um, all kinds of different life experiences. And it sounds like a lot of those experiences um, or aspects of them are captured uh, within this book project uh, and or beyond. So let, let's hear about the, the book project and, and how kind of how it got started. I know we're going to hear some, some excerpts uh, from it as well. So as I said, we started talking to people and, and meeting them and hearing their stories. And we recognized that we would go back out into the community and we tell the stories of these people. But truly, the way I interpret or the way I broadcast is not um, direct experience through direct experience. And so the book project began with the springboard of questions from high school and middle school students that wanted to drill more deeply into what life inside prison is like. And so we used that material, those questions, as prompts. Um, to work with a group of writers and um, through the generous support of Spirit Mountain Community Fund, Oregon Humanities, the Oregon Arts Commission, and the National Endowment of Arts, we were able to work with guys and um, put together this actual anthology, which is available at the bridgeworks.org site. The other part of this was the supreme honor of having some of our writers available to come out and join us in, in broadcasting and, and speaking for themselves. And so a handful of, of them are now out. And so we have a series of community events planned where they will be able to read their work. And then we will actually together read the work of some of the men who are still incarcerated. The, uh, the project uh, originally started before COVID. We were running a monthly class with this uh, Ground Beneath Us group 
at Oregon State Penn. And uh, the first grant actually was for a video of the men inside answering these questions from the kids. And with COVID, of course, we couldn't get in there anymore. So it turned into a book project. And it's, uh, I think it's better actually than it would have been as a video. Being able to hold on to these stories in a book and read them uh, more than once and have access is, is uh, I know for us has been uh, more meaningful, I think, than it would have been. And then, uh, like Tracy said, we are doing some readings and conversations on the outside. I don't, I don't know if we'll have uh, when the next one in Portland will be, but if on BridgeWorksOregon.org, we will be advertising those, and hopefully, people can come. And uh, we hope to have people like Sterling and and Kyle joining us in that conversation. So, uh, so but for folks that who are listening that are inside, um, here's a sample of some of the writing. Kyle, would you read a piece? Yes, I have a sample today from Life Prevails, a piece that I wrote during COVID at Oregon State Penitentiary. The tiny white petals stood bright against the red clay bricks. Hair-like roots wrapped around the edge where century-old mortar met century-old handmade bricks from the original State Penitentiary brick factory. The dissolving red squares are the only witnesses of a bygone era. I'm impressed by the tenacity of this little flower. The edge of the brick was offset just enough to allow a small ledge to form. Exposed to the elements after layers of lead-based paint had chipped away, a seed must have found a resting spot. I continued on my scavenger hunt. I find small patches of moss, numerous little flowers, and I feel I have found buried treasure. These small seeds were probably carried by winds and wings that crossed over the 25-foot wall and found lodging in offset bricks and crumbling mortar. Prison is brutal. I am almost always cold and hungry. This building structure with its cold steel bars and locks are callous, as if they could separate the body from the soul. Surrounded by loss, pain, and misery, life prevails. While separated from the ones I love, I can still see beauty all around me. Even the menacing high concrete walls are no match for Mother Nature. Moss turns golden brown along its top and droops down the walls like worn curtains. Rain falls and makes patterns like mountainscapes. Every crack in the wall hides leaves and petals from windblown fields. The moss line in the crevices smells of the forest I once ran through as a child. I secretly pick blackberries growing along, long abandoned hitching posts from centuries past. Life prevails all around me and new beginnings welcome me, call me, to find them on the big yard of OSP. Thanks, Kyle. Sterling, could you read part of your piece? Tell us a little bit about it. So this is my piece, Liminal Reentry from Liminal Reentry, and it begins, while serving time inside, people imagined a wonderful life beyond the walls. For years, decades, we sit in tiny cells fantasizing about how incredible a life of freedom will be. Since my release, I've discovered that even my greatest imagining was inadequate in comparison to the beauty of the world. I've sat for hours transfixed by ocean waves crashing against cliffs, fall leaves blending new hues in sunset light along the Willamette. I've hiked trails in fog-covered mountains. I've spent hours laughing with three-year-olds and days visiting with loved ones, discovering new cheeses, breads, and fried eggplant parmesan. In just over a month, I've driven more than 3,000 miles, fully indulging my newfound mobility around a diverse Oregon landscape. Life is marvelous for me and getting better each day. 
and there are still challenges. The reentry struggle that former prisoners face to secure food, shelter, employment, and transportation are generally well known. In prison, we talked among ourselves after reading all the same expert academics reporting on the dire data. I was fortunate enough to avoid those challenges, which has freed me to pay closer attention to lesser discussed challenges, namely the mental and psychological transition in rejoining a foreign feeling society. While I understand English and our cultural ethos, the prevalence of technology, the exuberant expenses, and the challenging interpersonal dynamics are all ever-present micro-pressures. People inside prison did not talk about transitioning into an Apple Microsoft world that relies on a computer to set a watch, join a gym, climb rocks at an indoor rock wall. There is no technology inside prison that prepares one for the most basic technological function of society, self-checkout at the grocery store. I stood fumbling with touchscreen and stylus while people in the vicinity became noticeably agitated. A chubby bearded guy leered at me while mumbling inaudibly under his breath to another guy of smaller size, both of who I instantly sized up in a threat assessment triggered by conflict anticipation. Quickly assuring myself that the likelihood of violence in Winco was low, I finished navigating through the multiple passwords and PIN numbers that tie my life together. I left the store, scanning the parking lot for potential threats, and entered the car. Days later, I noticed that I was constantly performing threat assessments everywhere I went. In addition to learning about everything from Microsoft Teams and smartphones, insurance and medical appointments, I was also evaluating any unusual dynamic as a potential threat. Prison is traumatic. Multiple forms of violence are ever present. Living with this daily norm for nearly three decades results in the hypervigilance frequently associated with PTSD. In an environment where the tiniest conflict can escalate to a riot or a wrong word to an officer results in the torture of solitary confinement, this extreme alert is adaptive behavior. Despite the long-term adverse consequences of constant stress, it helps one survive day-to-day -day in a hostile environment. However, exercised in the Cheesecake Factory is just paranoia. When we read that out in the world, so far, Sterling. Yeah. Especially that last one gets kind of a big chuckle every time. But it's so, I'm sure it's so true. But people don't think of that. It's a nice juxtaposition. I'm, I'm telling you, man, that waiter, he was making too many moves over there, <laughs> over here, disappear in the back room, come out, keep looking at me. <laughs> Almost checked him, cop. Like, what's up? <laughs> Just trying to refill your coffee, man. <laughs> oh, pay way too much attention to me. I don't know him. For folks well, just tuning in, you're, you're listening to Prison Pipeline airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. And we're here with folks from Bridgework, Oregon, talking about this recent book project. And the book is called Prisons Have a Long Memory. You know, you're already sharing some of the, the stories here. And uh, can we talk a little bit about what, what does the title mean? And, and wh what's the forward momentum uh, on, on the book and how people can also track it down and whatnot? Kyle uh, wrote a piece about a four part piece about life inside during COVID. And um, I'm setting you up basically, Kyle, yep. to 
talk a little bit about the, the title piece yeah. and where the phrase came from. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing when we were collecting all these stories and, you know, this was all happening during COVID. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure inside the institution. There was a lot of pressure outside the institution, people in the community around the world. You know, we were watching the news. We were sitting on our, our bunk beds and, and talking amongst ourselves. And at the same time, here we are collecting these stories. And not all the stories are about COVID. Some of the stories are just about doing time. And one piece came up interesting was the fact that in a prison setting, there are legends, stories, fables of people that have come and gone, officers that have come and gone. Some are funny, some are positive, some are negative. But there was this consistent idea that the prison itself is just a building. But what made the prison is the collective memory of everyone in the building inside those walls and collectively prison has a memory and because so many of us did uh, so much time decades uh, many of which are still inside serving decades of prison time there's this ongoing idea that that this memory this prison memory is long I've contributed that uh, Sterling contributed to that all of these writers are actively contributing to that memory and so prisons have a long memory. And the fact that stories and legends about what we do, what we accomplish, some of the stories talk about what, what we were able to contribute during COVID, how we were able to contribute, whether it was working in the laundry, uh, washing gowns, and taking care of linen for hospitals, which we did. You know, there were parts of the country that were completely shut down and isolated, and yet we were still working 12, 16-hour days making sure to wash, you know, bloody linens and gowns from local hospitals uh, up and down the I-5 corridor. And, and we were still going to work. You know, we were still uh, doing our part. You know, when you think about everyone had a part to play, and, and that was the part that, that I was able to be a part of. And I was proud of that. But some of those stories will only be remembered in prison. And uh, where can people find out more about uh, the project in general, too? Um, and um, how can they get plugged in, get the book, and what's on the horizons? The Our website, which is bridgeworksoregon.org, uh, the book is for sale on there. Uh, there is a physical copy, um, which is a really nice piece. It has a, a little bit of artwork, uh, not only writing, but on the back has this beautiful piece of artwork by another person that lives at currently still lives at OSP. But on the website, there is the book and there's also a uh, downloadable PDF version available if you navigate through the, the menus there. I think I alluded to it earlier, we are having some book readings out in the community. I give you a date for one, but not knowing when this might air, uh, it, we're gonna leave that blank for now. But again, on the website, we will post when we're gonna have some readings in the community uh, and on our Facebook page. It's Bridgeverse Oregon is the website. On Facebook, we use Folsom 50, which was the first project that we did inside for uh, folks inside. Oh, I'm just gonna say that what's on the horizon right now, um, because of COVID restrictions, only carded volunteers are allowed to come in to, to prison. So we are starting to set up the what's next with the folks that we uh, work with. Uh, we were at OSP on Saturday to see Toastmasters uh, competitions, which were excellent. And um, I couldn't decide who was best. 
and we stay neutral. And we're hoping to continue seeding more ground beneath us riders in the future and developing this project in new and interesting ways. One thing that I think is important is not really what Bridgework Oregon has in the future, but what people like Sterling and Kyle have going on as they release back into the community, which is really the goal of of the whole system, right? We we know the folks need to need to come back out and how are they gonna be. So I'd be interested to hear from let's go with Sterling since Kyle talked last. Tell us about what you're doing. Right now I'm trying to convince Oregonians that we should be a state that doesn't authorize slavery. You know, 68% of Oregonians don't know that our constitution still authorizes slavery upon conviction of a crime. And it's going to the voters this section. And it's been supported by bipartisan to get there through the legislative process. And that's what I'm working on. You know, just getting out here, having conversations most Oregonians that I've, I mean, according to the polling, most don't know that it's still there. The people that I've talked to and have been organizing with, they're just as surprised as I was to learn that's there. And because we're running a small budget, this effort started with the collaboration with people at OSP and some Willamette University students. And we're running the smallest campaign budget in Oregon history. That's what I'm working on right now. And then meeting and being a peer support to people coming out of prison and reintegrating into society, we come along and support them there as well. Sterling, can you tell us a little bit about the restorative justice aspect of what you're doing now and with Willamette? I mean, yeah, so this is a, so while we was inside, we facilitated restorative justice groups and, you know, this idea of how do we make amends? How do we atone? When a harm has been committed, uh, how do we take responsibility and how do we create justice? And for many of us, personal transformation becomes a form of justice, you know? And we, they, to become better people as a result of taking accountability for the harm that we've caused and we devote ourselves to service and we build partnerships. Once you start valuing relationships and making yourself available to be a part of the solution, you start developing relationships. We developed a partnership with Willamette University and the Transformative Justice Initiative there. And yeah, that's that's what we do. If somebody, we work with people inside the prison, we work with people when they get outside the prison and we help people coming home, not just get basic survival, but how to create meaningful lives. And then Kyle, I know that you have been working on the legislative aspects of, of reform. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, while I was inside, I was fortunate enough to be elected club president of the Lifers Club, Toastmasters Club, and Seven Step Foundation. And really that gave me some training you know, when you think about it, it was really training on how to communicate with people in authority, how to write policy changes, how to propose rule changes. And so I was really blessed when OGRC reached out to me and offered me a full-time position um, in order to do this kind of work as a job. I did this work for free inside. And so now being able to get paid for this is exciting. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that OJRC is committed to providing a level of integrity and honesty to legislators. And I'm fortunate to be a part of that. And, you know, providing legislators with real statistical data, reports, testimony from lived experience is so crucial and important when it comes to policy decisions by our elected officials. And so to have representation of previously incarcerated folks kind of at the table, so to speak, and available for questions um, is going to give our legislators all the information they need to make good decisions that will benefit, you know, their districts and benefit the state of Oregon. And people are starting to see the benefit of that. And it's very important work. And to be in this position of advocacy is is where my heart's at. You know, for years I was doing this inside. And so it just makes sense for me to dive into this feet first, all in, and bring the best I can really for the citizens of Oregon. And that's what I'm committed to. Great. Well, we look forward to seeing the book project um, expand, you know, and take whatever directions it's, it's going to take. I think, you know, before we close this project and, and projects like this in general um, help to get the word out about what it's like in, inside. And, and again, like, as you mentioned, you know, people really don't, don't understand that in the general public and generally the media depictions of it are fairly well, not only biased, right, but we also just don't see enough of it, right? And then maybe every once in a while there's some pop media programs that portray prisons uh, in a certain light anyways and all the misconceptions. So, yeah, maybe kind of closing thoughts on on the importance of, of kind of how, how this works and how this is helping to uh, kind of change some hearts and minds. It sounds like there's a deep connection there with these projects as well as doing a lot of the civic engagement um, that y'all are also involved in too. Well, I got to say that when you think about uh, writing and, and composing our lives, what we tend to not think about is that we actually tell the story of ourselves looking back and then making sense of all the, the pieces that we, have, uh, that we remember and we create a personal narrative. And the thing that's interesting about working with people who are incarcerated is they've done the long, hard work of looking at those pieces and so it's exciting to be part of a project that then uses the artistic lens or the storytelling lens to cast forward to what is the story you want to tell when you come home and so using that as kind of a guiding principle it's a real honor to be engaged with people who are doing that hard work but then it's also very rewarding to be able to share the reward of, of delivering the story with people that have crossed through those iron gates. I mean, for me, not only was writing transformative in the sense of, you know, it was it's where I was able to do some of the internal work first. And I know a lot of other people that have found healing through arts. And then to be able to share that and contribute to any effort that dissolves stigma and helps highlight the humanity of the people that are incarcerated is, it's an honor. And I'm glad that I can do that because I mean, we know the value of story and storytelling. It's the oldest, most effective way of communicating amongst humans. 
And we know also that there are so many stereotypes and lack of actual insight and knowledge about what people experience in our prisons. And to be able to help shed light on that in any way is is it's good. It's an honor. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, you know, when, when you're inside, I feel like, you know, people don't feel like they have a voice, like they have been forgotten, like they have been left out. And so to be able to be out here now uh, representing those voices is super important and it is a real privilege and I'm very honored to have that privilege. Well, I can speak for Tracy on this as well. You know, when we got, we started doing this this work inside based off that Johnny Cash record. And uh, when we looked at why he was doing the things he was doing, you know, there's two famous records he made, but he played in prison a lot of times before that that weren't advertised and it was about recognizing the humanity of the people inside so that's kind of been our guiding principle in this and more directly to especially uh, you know you two men sterling and kyle but so many of the people we've met it's it's our honor to uh, work with you guys too i mean it just is so i thank you for contributing what you have to the book and if i could just add one more thing real briefly these stories demonstrate, you know, the stories of Kyle Headquest, the stories of me, the stories of, you know, Cameron Hayes, the Ron Hall, Benjamin Purvis, Randall Grover Clegg, you know, James these all of these stories of people demonstrate humanity and is the main evidence as to why no person should occupy the legal status of a slave. So I have to end my portion on Yes, on 112. Right on. And and of course, uh, our, our show uh, very often does cover that topics, and there's so many great people, including you, doing that work. So hopefully we will also follow up on that to hear more about the positive outcome of, of, of that. So I'm, I'm hoping we, we will see that too uh, very soon. And uh, it's just a great project and uh, looking forward to ha- having you folks uh, back on again soon as well. You're always welcome. Uh, this is this won't be the last time, and like I said, I think it's been the fifth time or, or so already, which is great. And y'all have been doing such a good uh, job on this project. Um, you've been listening to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. Listen to this in previous Prison Pipeline programs at kboo.fm slash Prison Pipeline. Like Prison Pipeline on Facebook. Special thanks to all our guests here and Prison Pipeline member Karen James for production. Free them all.
on 104.3 FM and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM.